at the middle of the week and plenty to hear from your day's radio. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol Moran and here's what you might have missed. Our grief hasn't been normal grief. Most people are used to a grief that when a grandparent dies or a parent dies or something like that. When a daughter dies or a son dies, there's an extra level to it that I hope most people ever experienced. I saw him and we chatted and uh, his fame had gone before him, of course, as an old student. And I thought, as he walked away, I thought, okay, so I'll marry him one day. And I never thought about it again. Now, to be clear, I'm not expecting violins here, but I am a human being as well as a politician. And we'll start on the live line. Brian called Joe because of an ad that he felt made light of a very stressful hearing loss he experienced suddenly. Yes, I woke up with sudden hearing loss at the end of 2021. Okay. I suppose that that happens to a good few hundred people in Ireland every year. Right. And, you know, the current Specsavers ad is basically making light of severe hearing loss. So you've got a character bringing their budgie to the vets because it stopped tweeting and you've got the usual tagline then of should have gone to Specsavers for, for a hearing test. But um, So, no so hang on, I'm trying to remember because this be on the ad breaks here. But the one, the one I remember, the previous Specsavers ads for hearing aids was a woman who couldn't hear anything or couldn't yeah couldn't decipher anything distinguish she couldn't sound. sing either and she couldn't sing and then she someone adjusted her specsavers um hearing aids and as if by miracle lures fatima knock as if by miracle she could hear as clear as a bell it's like, it's, can hearing aids do that to you by the way um, not, not, my experience would be different to that. Okay, so so then just explain the ad. The, the radio ad is somebody goes into a shop, goes into the vets with the, oh, budgie the vets. Because okay, the budgie, yeah, the budgie has stopped tweeting, and the budgie is obviously tweeting. And the tagline then is, you know, should have gone to spec favorites. So I, 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 it's really not about. And they say, doesn't the, the person behind the counter say something like, uh, 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 "Spec savers is next door." Um, and I suppose the the issue is it's it's not funny. Um, hearing loss profoundly mm-hmm. affects you. You know it affects your life. Life. Um, there's lots of people in this situation. And it's not the first time the Specsavers would have made light of, of hearing loss. And I I wonder are there other disabilities that healthcare mm-hmm. organisations can make a joke about? It's a very unusual marketing approach. Um, in my situation, you know, I got sudden sensor mm. or hearing loss so this is essentially where you can wake up with loss complete loss of hearing wow. on my left side in my case um so it happens to about a thousand people in ireland every year okay um a lot of them will get their hearing back but some people will be left with severe or profound loss that's beyond help yeah. with a hearing aid um and so essentially if you lose one side you know you can't hear where things are in space so you can't know where yeah. whether there's a car coming towards you or not you can't differentiate speech and noise so you can't go into a restaurant or a pub or you know Just, a loud classroom yeah, um, yeah. without great difficulty in hearing and some people then get severe tinnitus so if you imagine Joe you wake up in the morning yeah, okay. and someone hands you a hairdryer and that hairdryer is on and you carry that around with you all day My gosh. all day long My gosh. They, sometimes the power is at maximum Sometimes it goes down a little bit, but it's always on. That's essentially and my is tinnitus, is tinnitus always that sound or are going to be different sounds for different people? 
it depends on what kind of frequencies are affected with your hearing loss. So okay. there's lots of different experiences. Now, as far as my understanding, there's, there's no cure for tinnitus, is there? Um, you know, people are working on it. There's a lot of research being done. There are people who would sell you a cure, what yeah. they call a cure. So I'm aware of people spending several hundred euro a month on supplements that are promised to cure their tinnitus or on other non-evidence-based treatments. But there's good resources out there. You know, there's tinnitus charities that have mm-hmm. good support materials, um, which are a lot of the messaging can be. This is something that you will be able to live with. You'll learn okay. to deal with it and you'll be able to get on with it. And Brian spoke about the social impact of his hearing loss. It's isolating. You're not going to be able to go into the kind of social situations you could before. So it makes your world shrink. You know, it's associated with uh, cognitive decline in the long run. So it's Mm. one of the main modifiable risk factors for dementia. About 8% of dementia cases are probably caused by hearing loss. And it's something that can be treated with hearing aids. So spectators have a very important job to do, but... You know, it's great to see they had a positive add-on before you started at, at 1.45, um, which was someone describing getting sound back, you know. Mm. So, you know, there's a deaf community in Ireland, there's deaf yeah, charities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they can, you've done great work with, with um, you know, the, the Oscar uh, win last year for, for CODA. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think Specsavers have a duty to do right by the hearing loss community and, you know. To, so what do you want them, do you want them to stop doing the budgie ad? Um, stop making fun of yeah. disabilities. It shouldn't be the butt of any joke, any disability. And when um, you when you woke up that morning, you're still a very young man, a very young man. Uh, you, you, you're 42 now. You t- but uh, how, when you woke up, did you know that you'd lost the hearing in one ear? Do you follow me? Yeah, yeah, it's very obvious. So there was a sense of fullness there and, you know, you couldn't hear people on, on one side of you and obviously okay. the, the tinnitus didn't didn't come in straight away. That's your brain adjusting over time. I think of it like phantom limb pain. Um, your brain adjusts to the situation it expects to be getting input. It's not getting it anymore. So essentially it makes it up. And my tinnitus, you know, the tinnitus is different for different people. Mine mm-hmm. tended to react to the volume of the the environment that I was in, so if I was in a loud environment, you would uh, get much, much louder tinnitus. Yeah, it, would, yeah. it would react to it. So I in, in the assessment that I got of my tinnitus where they put a simulated noise into my good ear and they started increasing the volume of that simulated tinnitus until it was as loud as my bad ear, they got up to 83 decibels. So that, that's wow. quite loud. That's, that's up past hair dryer territory. Oh my um, god! So, so it's it's quite profound. It's, and how it's do you funny. how do you sleep, Brian, with that sound in your ear? Um, I wouldn't be in the catastrophic tinnitus category. I I, okay, I could okay. get to sleep with it. Um, there are people with louder, worse sounds. There's people that that can't adapt to it and uh, habituate is the term that's used to to mm. get used to it. Um, so it, it, it's. It's quite profound, the impact of it, and it's just surprising to, to see that you've got someone who should be looking after people's health, uh, using it as part of an advertising campaign. And Brian had some advice for anyone who experiences sudden hearing loss. So if you look at what I got, okay. sudden sensorineural hearing loss, the public aren't aware of that. Health professionals have some awareness, but not enough. So if that happens to you, you know, if you or someone you love wakes okay. up um, or suddenly loses their hearing, this isn't a build-up of wax now. This is, yeah, yeah. my hearing is gone in one ear. That's a medical emergency. You should go straight wow. to an ENT specialist within 24 hours. Oh, if you get rapid treatment, you can potentially reverse it. Not everyone, 
yeah. you know, gets urgent treatment, gets it reversed, but your chances are increased. So I, I started telling this story on, on Twitter, you know, around the time that it happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have multiple messages from people who were in the same boat, delayed treatment, you know, didn't, didn't get the necessary treatment early enough and had permanent loss. And then I got one message recently, which is a person who remembered reading the the posts and she woke up with no hearing in one of her ears. Mm. She went straight away and got treatment and okay. it completely reversed and she's fine. So I suppose if one person hears this and remembers that in 5, 10, 15, 20 years' time when their, their hearing loss occurs or it happens to someone they love, then, you know, it's worthwhile. I don't want to be here telling my personal story. No, I don't want no, to be no. yeah. given out to spec savers on national radio. But you no, know, it's important. It's important, important that everyone. It's important that everyone gets feedback. That's that's part of the programs remit that people who, who people should be able to give, including to this station or TG Cahar or uh, RTE or whatever live line that, that people have uh, the right to. to to feed to feedback, um, but I do I do take a point, and then the other thing as well is okay. People say well, Specsavers glasses, but being short sighted is not regarded as a disability in itself. It's easily corrected with glasses, and it's significant. But actually, hearing loss is a serious, serious event in your life. And I didn't yeah, know I didn't I did incredible. not know that point, And I think it's great advice if you wake up. With hearing loss, significant hearing loss in one ear, go straight to your hospital. Don't say I'll ring and make an appointment if you can, if you're lucky enough to be able to pay for a consultant in a two weeks' time. Go straight and to a hospital. It's not always that somebody wakes up, and there are probably better people to speak about this more yeah, yeah. than me about it, but it, it's sudden hearing loss. So it's over the course of a day, two days, three days, where there's a substantial drop in your hearing. Um, it might be one-sided. A small proportion of people get it on two sides, so they wake up deaf. So they're suddenly deaf, and it's it's very traumatizing. It has a massive impact on people's quality of life. And mm-hmm. you know, there are treatments. I am I'm doing great. I'm I'm, I'm doing fantastic now. There are okay. successful treatments that can be implemented for it. And you know, there's hope for people who are in that situation. But I think if if people can get treatment urgently, if there's greater public awareness of it, if every college in the country that trains health professionals ensures that this mm. is in the curriculum so that no medic nurse pharmacist audiologist anyone okay. who comes into contact with the public in a healthcare context is unaware of the condition um, because you know it's it's somewhere between five and twenty per hundred thousand people per year so do the sums in ireland that's that's up to a thousand people a year in ireland now that's not all the, of them have it as that's, bad as that's, me that's 20 people a week that's 20 um, people a week. That's so some just of them never go to an the average about three people a day get yeah, sudden some hearing. Some won't have it as severe. You know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a very severe case. But I think the fact that, you know, it can get that severe means that there needs to be greater awareness. Um, we need to have adequately resourced ENT services. Oh. You know, we need to have adequate resourcing of the, um, the hearing aids that people will need, the kind of auditory rehabilitation, the tinnitus support and you know, some people will need surgical treatment with a cochlear implant. So we, we need all of those kind of treatments in, in place. But I think it's much better to prevent the need for that healthcare upstream and get people assessed and treated early. And, you know, audiologists okay. are incredible. Okay, incredible good, bunch of health professionals. That's Brian on the Live Line with Joe Duffy. 
now, a new documentary about the actor Peter O'Toole along the Sky Road to Akva will be screened as part of the Dublin Film Festival. And in the morning, Ryan Tuberty was talking to Peter O'Toole's former wife, actress Shan Phillips. You, you described in the documentary your first encounter with Peter O'Toole and yes. it sounds... It, it sounds also not quite whimsical, but otherworldly. Can, can, you, can you bring us back there again briefly? Well, yes, it, it's, um, it, it does sound otherworldly. I, I just saw him by chance. I'd heard of him, of course, because he'd been at the Royal Academy before me, where I still was. And after lunch, I stood on the pavement and he passed by. He was up visiting the uh, that neighbourhood uh, over the weekend. He was at the Bristol Ovic. And I saw him and we chatted. And uh, his fame had gone before him, of course, as an old student. And I thought, as he walked away, I thought... Okay, so I'll marry him one day. And I never thought about it again. I really didn't. Yeah. I mean, it was as simple as that. It sounds odd, but there you go. Well, it was odd. It might have been odd, but it, this, this, this is what happened. So it's a matter of fact. And, yes, it and did. I didn't make any effort to see him again, ever, any effort to call him or meet up or go to see him in a play or invite him to see me. And nothing at all. And then we were just cast together in a play so, uh, as brother and sister. And um, and then that was it. And on it goes. But let me, let me go back to that point that you made. I'm going to marry that man someday. Why? Yeah. Why, why did you think that? What was it? What was the essence I, of I've that no reaction? I have no idea. I'm sorry. I really can't tell you that. It is, as you say, a bit uh, otherworldly. I have no idea. And it wasn't of any importance to me at the time. I didn't... I didn't think of it at all. Yes. And I never gave it another thought. It was just a fact of my life. A fact of life, OK. And, and then you yes, end up on... on, on but you know, yes. I, I really I really was very glad to talk to you about this because um, this, I, I'm hoping anyway that this documentary will mark a change in the attitude towards O'Toole. He, um, all his life, he battled against uh, this... Um, a picture of himself as a great drinker, a great um, uh, who didn't follow the rules, who just uh, tossed these great performances off willy-nilly. Well, you know, he wasn't like that at all. And it, it's been a great misery uh, in, to him during his life and to us afterwards to have to hear that all the time. Whenever you talk about O'Toole, that's what people talk about. And this this documentary seemed to me, from talking to the producer and to the director, seemed to be going another way and it has gone another way i've seen it and it goes a long way towards towards establishing him as one of the great actors of the last century he was an enormous worker he was immensely disciplined he didn't if he drunk the amount he was supposed to have drunk he wouldn't have done anything and uh, my admiration for him is unbounded and i i'm sort of so glad to see that this documentary is heading that way that 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 absolutely confounds me in 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 a sense that the narrative yeah. really up to now is as you'd said there uh, yeah. the, the boozy yeah. hellraiser. I mean, there's no oh, doubt yeah. about it. It's been constant yeah. and consistent. It's constant, and he did it so well. You see, he did it so decoratively. He did it so humorously. He did it so graciously, and there were lots of laughs as well. So it wasn't all sort of heavy, terrible drinking, you know, going to prison, being being bad. It it wasn't that. It was it was also a part of the of the myth, and it was it was kind of enchanting. He didn't like it, but our lawyer got together with us when we were very young uh, newlyweds and said, um, well, what has now become very well known is he said, never complain, never explain. <laughs> So we never did. <laughs> and Ryan asked Shan about setting the record straight. Is is there a sense that you're trying to 
uh, reclaim uh, the, 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 as you call him, O'Toole, the O'Toole story. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think my part of it was, obviously, I was very privileged to spend a a big part of, of, um, an important part of his life with him and the beginning of many, many things. But um, I really do think that what, what my part in it is nothing. I mean, they keep saying, how did you manage to live with? It's not important. I did. That's all. You know, I survived. And that's not the story. The story is that this extraordinary talent came out of this slight, um, unconfident youth. And the... the, the it's, 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 it's intriguing because when you talk about, as you have done, the volatile marriage and one of uh, fights and reconciliations yeah. and maybe he might have belittled your acting career because he, there could only be room for maybe one yeah. star in, in, in anyone's kitchen. Yeah, yes, yeah, he sure did. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, but, and you know so that, how do you, how do you reconcile with... that with, with the, the, the image that you would much rather see portrayed? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, my problems are for me to deal with and I've dealt with them. You know, I have survived. And um, not in the way I would quite have liked, maybe, but it's enough, you know. And uh, I was so proud of him always, even when things were very, very difficult. Um, I I never, ever doubted his his talent or his... It was his sheer application that was so astonishing. And that was in the movie... One of the things that touched me most and most impressed me was the way his his peers talked of him and and they could recognise the amount of work he put in. Yes, um, yeah. and and when you think of the the debit and credit in the, your relationship account, yeah, um, wh- wh- where are you with that at the moment? Do do you see that there was a lot more credit than debit? If if you'll excuse the, the... oh yes, there was oh undoubtedly yes. Okay. No, it was it was a great privilege as well to be to 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 watch him, you know, to to be with him when he when he worked. I mean, it, if if I sat down to try and tell you um, the amount of work he put in, people would not credit it. Yes, they wouldn't. I mean, months of work went into everything. Everything. I was surprised, Shan, uh, to hear uh, three at least people in the documentary: Brian Cox, Anthony Hopkins, and yourself, yeah. uh, describe yeah. Peter O'Toole as being wolf-like. Yeah, I know. I was I was surprised too. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where's that coming you, you from? You know the character in the movie, don't you? That wolf that, yes. that leads all the children astray, as far as I remember. And yes, that's exactly what he looked like on that pavement, and it's obviously what he looked like to them too. And was there a yeah. devilish attraction to that in that? Yes, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you saw something maybe, uh, you know, from, yeah. from the shadows rather than the light. Yes. <laughs> Possibly, <laughs> it was nothing you could identify anyway. <laughs> but as you, it's, it's interesting describing your the, your dynamic as a couple uh, because yeah. you were you were watched and because you both wrote about it and because we're now looking at a documentary about it, we see it. But yeah. actually, if you distill it down the way you're doing it now and saying, "Hang on, yeah. everybody, calm down a minute," you know, ultimately, yeah. all relationships have you know, ups and downs. All relationships yeah, have yeah. storms and all of them have beautiful oases uh, of calm yeah. and what have you. Uh, you're saying, okay. are, or are you saying, let me ask you, uh, that your yeah. relationship with Peter O'Toole wasn't so spectacularly different to that of any other couple going through the motions of, of, the, of, of the quotidian marriage? I, w- I would tend to agree with you, ex- except insofar as he was different. You know, Go on. He was, he was a little bit more so... Than, than most of us. Was he a difficult a more, man? 
No, no, he wasn't difficult. He was terribly easygoing, actually. And he was, we, we had a very quiet life on the whole. Our life would, <laughs> would amaze anybody, would bore them. To, 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 yeah, it really wasn't very interesting. He would just sit and read. And, um, uh, but but it, it was, he, he was a bit more of everything. Mm. He was a bit, than, uh, a bit extra. He was a bit extra, and that bit extra sometimes made it wonderful and sometimes made it terrible. And we'll come back to this interview with Sean Phillips a bit later in the programme. And on today with Philip Eitra Hayes at about 10 o'clock, we had some breaking news. Bit of breaking news. Surprising decision. Nicola Sturgeon is to stand down as Scottish First Minister. That's just coming into us. And Philip had a bit of Nicola Sturgeon's press conference to play. Can see her now over a Chiron which reads, I am a human being as well as a politician. This is some of what she's been telling reporters. I am proud to stand here as the first female and longest serving incumbent of this office. However, since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. And when that time came, to have the courage to do so, even if to many across the country and in my party, it might feel too soon. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now, that it is right for me, for my party and for the country. And so today I am announcing my intention to step down as First Minister and leader of my party. I have asked the National Secretary of the SNP to begin the process of electing a new party leader and I will remain in office until my successor is elected. Okay, I'm joined now by Kevin Schofield, political editor of HuffPost UK. Thank you very much for taking our call, Kevin. Um, Morning. We haven't been able to uh, keep up with what's going on here. Take us back, really, will you? Can can you please to the very start of this? What did she enumerate or set out as her reasons for stepping down? Well, I mean, you've given a reasonable precy there in the, at the start of her resignation uh, press conference. She's basically more or less said that she's had enough that she has been in charge for over eight years and it's now time to hand the reins over to someone else. She was very clear that um, although she's had a lot of um, tough times recently, uh, you've probably been covering it yourself over in Ireland about um, the gender recognition reforms have run into a lot of trouble, been very controversial, um, and also her attempts to push forward for a second independence referendum have rather run into the sand. There are a lot of splits in the SNP over how they should progress the campaign for independence. But she says that it's not anything to do with these sort of short-term problems. It's more to do with the fact that she has been in power for a long time and it's now an opportunity for someone else to make the case for Scottish independence, fresh thinking, fresh ideas and a new face at the top of Scottish politics. So that is her reasons for standing down. OK, did we actually have a little bit of a clip now of her talking about the physical, the mental toll that the job has taken on her? Now, to be clear, I'm not expecting violins here, but I am a human being as well as a politician. My point is this, giving absolutely everything of yourself to this job is the only way to do it. The country deserves nothing less. But in truth, that can only be done by anyone for so long. 
For me, it is now in danger of becoming too long. A First Minister is never off duty, particularly in this day and age, there is virtually no privacy. Even ordinary stuff that most people take for granted, like going for a coffee with friends or for a walk in your own, becomes very difficult. And the nature and form of modern political discourse means that there is a much greater intensity, dare I say it, brutality to life as a politician than in years gone by. All in all, and actually for a long time without it being apparent, it takes its toll on you and on those around you. And if that is true in the best of times, it has been more so in recent years. It used to be said that all political careers end in failure, Kevin, but here we have Nicola Sturgeon and just before her, Jacinda Ardern, two notably female leaders saying, no, political careers can end at a moment of my time and choosing while I am still match fit. Yeah, and it is rare, you're right, for a politician to be able to choose the time of their departure from the political scene. So, you know, Nicola Sturgeon... And by that regard, I guess, has been a success. But what you've got to remember is that that the whole raison d'etre of the SNP is to gain Scotland's independence from the United Kingdom. And the fact is that if the opinion polls are to be believed, Scotland is no closer now to supporting independence than it was eight and a half years ago when she became leader in the wake of the independence referendum in 2014. So by that, um, standard, I guess you could say that her her um, political career has been a failure. You know that a lot of expectation was placed on. A lot of people thought that she would be the SNP leader to lead Scotland to independence, and she hasn't done that. And she won't be if it indeed it ever happens. She won't be the person who achieves it. Kevin Schofield from today with Philip Archer Hayes. And on Morning Ireland, the father of baby Leisha Kavanagh Niscali, who died eight years ago. Just over eight years ago, Leisha Kavanagh Niscali died after her tiny heart was accidentally pierced in a medical procedure. She was less than two days old. Leisha and her twin brother Kuan had been born prematurely at 28 weeks in the Coombe Hospital in Dublin to Irene Kavanagh and her husband Colleen O'Scully. The family say they fought relentlessly for the truth of how and why their daughter died. Leisha's father told the court that in his family's opinion, the medics cared about Leisha until the moment she died. After that, he said, they cared more about the reputation of the hospital. Mr O'Scolly said they could never forgive the Coombe Hospital for what he called the cruelty of their actions. Our reporter Moira Hannan spoke to him a few hours after a settlement in the case had been agreed in the High Court. Leisha was born on the 22nd of January 2015 um, and she's she was a twin. Uh, she was born alongside her brother, Kuan. And while they were premature because they were 28 weeks and six days, um, the prognosis was good. It was guarded, but good. Uh, there were definitely babies there who were a lot younger. Um, and we were more worried about Kuan because he was the weaker of the two. Um, and we kept on going in every day just to, to because I mean, they were born on the 22nd, so we'd go in there straight away. And it's almost like you're willing Kuan to be strong and to stay with us and everything because he was the one that we were all worried about all along. 
and then um, their lungs were a little bit underdeveloped which meant that they were afraid that they would air would leak out of the lungs into the the chest wall which then gives them something like the bends which would be something that divers get you know um so it, it was something that was flagged uh they tried to put on uh, give them a drug called serifaction which had worked to some extent but not enough uh, so it, um on the 24th the morning of the 24th kuan needed to have uh, a procedure uh, for pneumothorax, which is the air buildup on the side outside of the lungs, uh, that went ahead and it was fine. There was no problem whatsoever. And then, several hours later, when we came in to visit uh, the two of them, uh, we were told now that Leisha needed the same. Now, it's not something that they were surprised about because they had said to us, "Look, they know what happens at seven hours, at twelve hours, at twenty hours. They're very familiar." with how uh, a baby progresses and they said also in the case of twins if it happens with one it more than likely will happen with the other so when we went down to see Leisha um, we were uh, met by uh, the consultant in charge of them and it said come back in 40 minutes there um, uh, Leisha's having pneumothorax uh, so, but to come back in 40 minutes and it'll be fine. We were never told that this is anything that we should be worried about or scared of or that was even life-threatening, nor should it be. So we went away and we went back up to our room and within minutes we got a phone call to get down straight away. So immediately we were very worried and scared uh, and we came down to see her and told that... Um, while they were doing the procedure, they may have nicked something on the way in um, and they, they were sending Leisha to uh, Our Lady's Hospital in Crumlin, uh, where there was a team waiting there to make sure she was OK. So they headed off in the, in the um, ambulance and we chased after them in our own car. And we arrived there, we went up to a disused part of the hospital where we were directed to and um, we were only there maybe three minutes. And then, Colleen, you were told the worst possible news a parent could get. That was, that was the, the most horrific moments of my entire life. Um, afterwards, we went, we went back to the coom and uh trying to make sense of what had happened. At that time, we believed what they had told us, which is she died of natural causes, uh, that they may have nicked something while doing the procedure, but that is not what killed her. That's what they told us. And Colleen, yourself and Irene, just talk me a little bit about through what today meant to you, meant for, for Leisha's memory and, and how you're feeling now. It's like that we were vindicated to a certain amount. It's a hollow victory because our leash is never coming home to us. And it's been a very distressing eight years because 
our grief hasn't been normal grief. Most people are used to a grief that when a grandparent dies or a parent dies, something like that. When a daughter dies or a son dies, there's an extra level to it that I hope most people never experience. Um, today, we vindicated, we were vindicated and we reclaimed some of Leisha's past because they had said they had changed her story for somebody who was the stronger of the two to being somebody who was the weaker of the two because it suited their narrative when she died. So at last, we were able to set that record straight that she was, in fact, the stronger of the two. And when you see her brother, Kuon, he is so strong and healthy and tall and slender, magnificent child, little devil as well. <laughs> but he's here with us and he was the one that we were worried about. So today, after eight years of fighting the HSC, fighting the insurance companies, fighting their barristers, their solicitors, their whole team, the whole army that the state provides to fight against you while you're just trying to uncover the truth of what happened to your child or why your child died we felt vindicated everybody knows nobody's perfect people make mistakes so when you do make a mistake hold up your hands and say we messed up we are so sorry and we will never make we will make sure that this never happens again and that's what we wanted in the beginning. That's all we wanted. Moira Hannan talking to Colleen O'Scally from Morning Ireland. And we're going back to that interview of Shan Phillips on her former husband, Peter O'Toole. Here, Ryan Tuberty asked Shan about the period of time when Peter O'Toole was filming Lawrence of Arabia. Well, I was amazed because we had had a very difficult time before that. I wasn't at all sure where I stood. And... Um, I'd been, we, we were both in Stratford when, when um, he made his first big, big, big success as, 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 as Shylock in, in the RSC, one of the great, great performances. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that was touch and go that it was going to happen at all. And um, so we got through that and then, oh, we had uh, another falling out over something. And of course, he wasn't ready. It was he that wanted to start a family and be married. I had no intention of getting married or starting a family. And um, I said, okay, I hadn't thought about that, but yes, okay, let's try. So we did, and it really didn't work. I mean, it was hopeless. So um, I came back to London, and I was working with the Royal Shakespeare in London, and uh, suddenly he seemed to have a personality change. I didn't question it at the time because I was so relieved. And I thought, well, this is this is very good, yeah. yeah. So I didn't. We didn't talk about it. He never said why. He never said what had happened. He just. Uh, we just had a very, very nice time. Very nice. And did it last a long time? It did. Oh yes, mm. it lasted a very long time. Yeah. yeah. Did Did you always feel uh, after your marriage ended so well disposed yeah. to Peter, or has it grown a bit more benevolent with time? Uh, no, I think I don't think he behaved well at all. Actually, <laughs> but you know, it was he couldn't help himself really, and um, I I don't. 
No, it hasn't grown more anything, actually. It, it just stays much the same. But I, I didn't feel I, I wasn't bitter towards him for behaving so outrageously badly over the divorce and everything. I thought, well, no, he's hurting and he, he just wants a bit of revenge or something. And uh, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't think about it beyond that. It was just that I, I couldn't cope at that point with any extension of... of uh, you know, we got over the drinking, which is all finished. He nearly died. He got well. And, and then he was beginning to experiment with drugs to see if, if that would maybe be a, a usable alternative. And I just couldn't do that. I mean, it was absolutely impossible. I, I just couldn't take on another thing. It, 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 we began our interview with, with you saying that you knew immediately you were going to marry this man. And yeah, uh, yeah. sadly, you know, after you, you moved out of the family home, you packed yeah. two cases. You you wrote. I knew I'd yeah. never. You. I knew I'd never see O'Toole again. Um, yeah, I did know. I did know. You I know, know. You have this. Yeah. I don't know if it's prescience. Um, or oh, well, I I just knew that it was not in his character. He could never speak to me again. I be, knew because because he was angry with me. He was um, he was bereaved. He was um, confused. Uh, he was whatever you you, you want to say. I, I don't know. I can't see into his head, but I knew that he would never speak to me again. You said he it. he prided himself on his resolutely unforgiving nature. Did was there any sense? Yeah, of... which was a, which is a, a bad thing. I think I don't think I think a lot of his uh, his bad things were good things, but I think this bad thing was a bad thing. Uh, hate to the grave. I don't think is a good yeah. a good uh, expression. I think it's it's um, it's foolish and it's. Uh, I, I don't think I don't like it anyway. Was there any peace in the valley between you in the end at all, or was it just a little? No, no, no. no I, I didn't see. No, I didn't see him again. No. Would no. you? Would you? Rather, I mean, I don't know. Would you? Would have? Could have? Should have? But would you rather have had a different ending in that story? Um. Yes, of course I would. Yes, of course. Yeah. 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 And Some kind of reconciliation, yes, of course. Yeah, as you said. But I knew it would. I knew it would never ever happen. So I never allowed myself to uh, to wish for that. In in our chat, which we have to draw to a close now, but in in our chat, you you veered towards, you know, this this very loving sense of this man, and mm. and then a sort of almost a momentary ruefulness about some of the bad habits, if you like. Um, yeah. In in the great sort of epilogue of your thoughts on Peter O'Toole, yeah, how how would you pretty much sum it up at this point? It you mean? About, um, excuse me. How would you sum up your thoughts on on Peter now? in twenty twenty three, all these years later. Well, I, I quite honestly, I I I don't dwell on the past. I mean, I remember a lot of the past. A lot of it is very very clear in my mind and very pleasurable. Um, I have no. No, I don't feel any regret. I, I just feel that's the way it had to go and that's the way it went. And I wasn't surprised. And it was a shame. It was a shame. But um, also, I, I had nothing left of spontaneous feeling except uh, great pride in his achievement in the small part I may have play, play, played in, in helping him on his way. I think he was he was a great great talent, and uh, it's that's the job I pursue, and it's the one I care most about. And I'm very proud to have been um, been with him for some of it. 
And although the interview was primarily about the new documentary about Peter O'Toole, you couldn't have such a talented and successful actress like Shan Phillips on the line without asking her about her own life. Uh, just, you know, I, I've enjoyed our chat about Peter, but I'm also an admirer of yours and, and your, your own work. So if I may just briefly dwell on how you are, how you're doing, because you're turning a most remarkable age in, in May. Uh, we, sh- we share a birthday month, which is lovely. But um, how are you feeling about the world in your own head and heart? In my own head? Well, in my own, it's in my own knee at the moment. I've just had a new knee. OK, congratulations. I've had my knee taken out and a new knee put in and it's, it's murder at the moment. Is it really? Honestly. Oh yes. God! I'm sitting. I'm sitting, leaning on a tub of ice here, <laughs> with with ice around my knees. The show goes on, and, Shan. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and and you're continuing to work. I mean, it, you you obviously love yes. love the life you lead and, and the, your chosen I, I love path. It. I do. I really do. Yeah, I'll be back at work in about four weeks I guess. Yeah. I was chatting yeah. to a few friends the, the other day about um, I Claudius where you, of course you played Livia so memorably and yeah, yeah. I believe it's kind of coming back again in terms of back in vogue. Uh, it jumps yeah. out every time uh, your performance in that in that uh, remarkable TV, oh, TV programme. No really uh, it was yeah. it was so stunning and so so cruel and so bitter and calculating yeah. and, ex- and extraordinary. Yeah. Um, how do you reflect yeah. on that show all these years later many years later? Oh, well, I mean, it, we had the greatest fun doing it, I have to say. It was a wonderful company yeah. of actors. Uh, we all got on really well. And the, it, it, it was, listen, it's a success it is because the script was so great. The script was fabulous. Sure. and, and out of the ordinary, yeah. And in your 90th year, you're, you're, you're talking about, I mean, you're still working. What, 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 what plans, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what's the plan? <laughs> I, I really don't know. <laughs> what, what are you up to in terms of uh, theatre and, and, and film work? What's on the agenda? I'm going to be, I've just finished television and before I had my knee done. And then I'm going to uh, be doing um, a, a series of talks at the moment about, about the birthday, you know, the dreaded birthday <laughs> is coming up. So I'm going to do a lot of those in um, in a few weeks' time starting and at the Palladium and all over, over the country. Lovely. And um and I'm doing um I'm doing a play, I hope, and a, a two hander. And I but before that I'm doing a a, a recital of Greek drama oh and comedy and literature, which I'm I'm getting very fond of, which I do from time to time. So I'm working on that as well. That is extra I mean you're you're really quite something. And and you, as you as you say, you're you're you call it the dreaded birthday in May. Are, are you Yeah, it is a dreaded birthday. Are you really <laughs> dreading it or are you being, you know, humorous about it? What what are you, how are you feeling? It. I've never had a birthday. I, O'Toole never gave me a birthday present. I just don't like birthdays. And um, I, I, I I, don't like birthdays. I think it's, I, I don't know. I think dwelling on birthdays is bad luck. <laughs> okay. And one last question, Shan Phillips, as we're, yeah. as we're chatting here, because you're so, I can hear it in you. You're, you, you. You could be 20 years old, 30 years old. You're so mentally agile and engaged in the world. And there you are with your knee and a bucket of ice talking to us from, from the UK. It's just, it's just brilliant. And my feeling, my, my, my question really is to, to people who kind of feel you're know, getting to a certain age, you kind of think, well, I, I'll, I'll take the foot off the pedal now. Why do you keep going and what keeps you so together? Oh, I, I, I don't keep going. You know, it's just, it's just, I just plod on the way I've always have done mm. until 
um, I was told you say bits drop off, you know, or you're hoping too many <laughs> bits don't drop off <laughs> in the process. And I, I just, uh, I just don't feel like it. It's, it's, it's what I like doing, you know. But do you do do like. do you read newspapers? Go to museums? Watch movies? Oh or... yes, yeah, I read okay. all the newspapers. There are every day. Yeah, and I I go to galleries and, and yes. concerts and movies and uh, of course yeah, Seriously. not so much theatre because of COVID these days. But yeah. um, I go to yes yes I'm out and about all the time. Shan Phillips from the Ryan Tuberty Show. And on today with Philip Edger Hayes, Banksy's St. Valentine's Day Mascara Mural. The world's most famous graffiti artist, Banksy, confirmed yesterday that he was responsible for a mural in Margate in England entitled Valentine's Day Mascara. It was widely seen as Banksy taking aim on violence against women. It depicts a 1950s style cliched version of the fragrant, cheerful housewife, except she has a swollen eye and a missing tooth. And she is shoving a man, or at least you see his feet poking out of what was an actual real chest freezer that was placed up against the wall that the mural or the graffiti is painted onto. Uh, This morning it was confirmed that the local district council had removed the chest freezer as it was deemed to be a safety hazard and what you are left with doesn't really make sense because it is the woman doing a pushing motion and a pair of feet about six feet away from her. Um, I'm joined now by Jessica Fahey, Art historian for a little bit more on this. Jessica, um, I'm imagining that obviously pretty much everybody must have seen this work as coming in the context of police officer David Carrick being sentenced to 30 years behind bars and the murder of Sarah Everard by uh, the other uh, policeman, serving policeman, uh, Wayne Cousins. Stuff, news that is still rocking the UK. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's what um, we sort of expect of Banksy is that he does have a tendency to engage with current social issues and using his platform essentially to bring attention to these things. And particularly, I think, with this uh, image, you can clearly see that he's trying to make us, I suppose, think about it and question it and laugh, I suppose. It's sort of jokey in a way, but then very quickly we're made aware that this is a serious issue, a serious topic. Um, And when I was sort of looking at the title of this with you know, the connotation and connection with the Valentine Day massacre rather than mascara. Um, I read a little bit up on it and actually they had um, been lured in. So the gangsters had been lured in by people dressed as policemen who weren't really policemen. Uh, so there was an interesting connection oh. there, whether Banksy intended that or not. But um, it's That's a very that clever noticed. added layer of meaning to it, isn't it? But t- tell me, what was, yes. your, what was your first reaction to the piece? So my first reaction, I think, when I saw it, and I'd say a lot of people are similar, is that it looks from a distance like she's winking and smiling. And Banksy on uh, Instagram purposely had close-ups of the woman's face so you could see that actually what might look like a a sort of idyllic uh, um, situation from a distance, the closer we look, the more we realise. And as you mentioned, uh, it looks like she has a swollen eye from being hit in the face and a missing tooth, um, which again is... you know, part of, I suppose, the uh, conversation around domestic abuse is how hidden it can be and how people can put on a face that once that you look a little closer, you see the reality. Um, I think the feet sticking out of the um, 
uh, freezer when the freezer was there uh, is sort of humorous and um, it makes us laugh at something uncomfortable, which uh, I think is something that he often does uh, in his works, which, you know, as I say, makes us think about it and question it. And where do we feel in the comfort level of the idea of her essentially being a murderer Mm. here? You know, so there's a, a further aspect of that, too justifiable homicide perhaps but there's another layer to this as well isn't there with the Mm. colours of the Ukrainian flag being worked into this and the suggestion perhaps that what the Ukrainians are overcoming is a toxic masculinity of their nearest bigger neighbour Yes, and um, uh, this was something that I came across with just the Instagram comments. So this isn't coming directly from Banksy. Someone noted the colours. And given that he was recently over there and made, you know, seven murals, one of them is this child um, overthrowing this judo suit wearing man who looks a little bit like Putin. Um, So showing that there is that kind of awareness of this big bully uh, or type character that again is associated as you say with sort of toxic masculinity which again are kind of glorification of gangsters and you know that whole world has an element of that going on as well um and i think with um you know the colors and what he's been doing recently the link could be made you know again it's not a definite thing we're just all you know um kind of uh, trying to read what we want into it mm. and i think his works allow that they allow people to read as much as they want into it and to make their own opinions. Um, they can be quite clear in terms of the the subjects. It's not difficult to figure out what's in front of you, but what the meaning is can be open to interpretation. Art historian Jessica Fahey from Today with Philip Boucher Hayes. And on Morning Ireland, wholesale electricity prices have dropped by 40%. So why aren't we seeing this in our bills? Wholesale electricity prices dropped by more than 40% in the last three months of 2022. This means that prices are now lower than before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. As we all know, however, the drop isn't being reflected in household bills. So what's going on? Charlie Weston, personal finance editor of the Irish Independent, joins us. Charlie, before we talk about what, if anything, people can do, will you talk to us a little about the wholesale market? Are prices continuing to fall? They are on the wholesale markets, Rachel, and it's extremely frustrating for consumers to see that wholesale gas prices, and gas is the important one because we use gas for half our electricity generation, Wholesale gas prices are way down, as you say, 41% in the last three months of last year compared with the previous year, back to pre-Ukrainian war and pre-Ukrainian invasion levels. So why isn't that being passed on, people are saying? What's going on here? The problem is that the, 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 the prices we're seeing fall are the spot prices. So if you're an energy company and you go out today and you want to buy wholesale gas, that's the price you get today. The, the, the energy companies are locked into these uh, contracts. They buy gas in advance. They're called futures or it's called the process is called hedging. It's not some exotic financial engineering, but it's a way that, that they buy at a price now to be delivered in the future. And that's to smooth out the volatility. Um, and, and they're kind of locked into these contracts. Now, they should be unwinding. And, the, and the, you know, the, 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 the different energy companies, and there are a number of them, would have contracts with, with, with different uh, endpoints. So they should start to unwind soon and this should be feeding through the price cuts. We could do with some more regulatory intervention to make sure that we're not being ripped off on this, but we don't regulate prices for consumers in this country, unfortunately, Rachel. For consumers, 
It does seem at the moment as though as soon as wholesale prices go up, the rise is passed on and you see it in your bill. But as you say, it can take an age for the fall in those wholesale prices to be reflected in household bills. Exactly. And it leads to a lot of cynicism and people asking legitimate questions. I mean, that's particularly prevalent in petrol and diesel. You know, the saying is it goes up like a rocket falls like a feather. And and that's what we're seeing here. We're, we're seeing, a, a, you know, a very slow unwinding of the, of the expensive wholesale gas being passed on, that being passed on then to consumers. And it's very annoying. Um, the, 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 look, there are some positives. At least, you know, we had one uh, supplier offering fixed price contracts there uh, in, 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 in the last while, flow gas. I mean, and that's a sign that at least prices have stabilised, I think. So at the very least, prices have stabilised and we should start to see prices fall near the end of the year. But until some of these long-term contracts that the companies have signed into unwind, we'll have to wait a bit. And, you know, we had Electric Ireland yesterday saying that some of the contracts they have are up to two years long. Now, that seems extraordinary. And that's why you'd like to see the regulator checking this. But the regulator won't do that, unfortunately. They can't do that. But, uh, you know, to have to wait for two years for some of these contracts to unwind seems very unfortunate. And it sounds like a bit of bad business was done there by Electric Ireland in signing up to such a long contract. There is due to be a windfall tax on energy company profits. When's that due to kick in? Well, that could kick in soon and could help to pay for another um, another energy credit. Remember, we're due another €200 Euro energy credit in March. And if, if there's a windfall tax on essentially on the the energy generators that don't use wholesale gas. So we're talking here wind farms, solar, oil-generated electricity, coal-generated electricity. They would have a windfall tax put on them on the basis, Rachel, that they are gaining from the very high mm. prices of gas, but their their input costs haven't gone up. So, you know, well, haven't gone up much really. But so, so they they're making super profits. But the wind farms at the moment are making super profits. So the idea is to put a a windfall tax on them and then use that. You know, the indications from the government is that could be used for various, um, you know, helps to, to households and we could be due an additional uh, more uh, energy credits, which have proved very popular, obviously. We've got a number of them and, and as I say, another one due in March. Charlie Weston from Morning Ireland with Rachel English. And on the live line, go paperless or pay up. Anne-Marie called Joe. Anne-Marie, Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Ah, oh, when, when did you get this this notice? Um, at 12.31 this afternoon, okay. I got a text from AIR okay. to say that um, from the f- February the 20th that they were going paperless. And if I res- wish to still receive my bill by paper in the post, yeah. it would cost me 5 99 per month. For the 72 euro a year? Yes, 71.88 a year extra on my bill. And if I wanted to receive it on the computer, it will be free. So and I'm absolutely disgusted. Well, tell me and why. Tell me why. That was obvious. Well, I think it's terrible. I think in this day and age, even though uh, the young people are all into computers and technology, there's a lot like me that's not. Okay. Um, I like to get my bill in the post. I like to go to the post office. There was an uproar about keeping post offices. They were saying the government gave them contracts to receive these payments and all the work that the girls in the post office do. So now that's taken me out of... I don't use a computer. I yeah. don't want to use a computer. Fine, absolutely fine, yeah. Um, I have 
even though I sent the email in to say that I think it's terrible, I think it's discriminative. When I signed up with AIR 40 years ago, um, it's not in my contract to say that they can take away. If I take their service, um, if, I, if I'm paying them for their service, mm-hmm. it's part of the contract that they give me a bill to pay them. Yeah, that's true. So I should be allowed to go to the post office on a Friday, pay my bills, and yeah, but I'm you, happy. But you, you have, well done, but you want to get your bill through the letterbox. Yes, I, I receive it yeah. as I am now through the letterbox. Yeah. But they want to charge a five ninety nine per month per bill, which adds up to seventy one eighty eight a year. In this climate, I have no idea what the reason okay. is behind it. Now, and I'm disgusted, and I think well, it's terrible well, well, that well, they're allowed well, to do Marie, let me guess. I suspect one of the reasons they say is we want to save the forests of the world. We want to save paper. We're Greta Thunberg supporters. We're uh, uh, awake to all the climate change, so we're saving paper. Okay. Well, they can buy paper, recyclable paper, Kendra. That's true. You know, like I mean. Or you can have... you can give given that the cost of fuel, you can use the paper to light the fire. Lovely, and when you're having the price of a packet of fire lighters in this exactly. day and age, roll up. Yes, Roll it's up. absolutely shocking that they're allowed to do this. Now, they, really say, they say here, customers who wish to continue to receive paper bills will be charged six quid a month. Five ninety nine, actually. Why, did they, yeah. why don't they just say six quid, guys? We're not, yeah, six we're not stupid. It's six quid a month from February yeah. the 20th, uh, which, well, you've spotted that. Well, well, well done. You only got it an hour ago. With the exception of age-friendly customers. Yes, they who get are, free. Who are they? Well, it says age-friendly, so my son had a look at it. It wasn't me now, to be truthful. And he said he was assuming it was people over age 65. Now, he doesn't uh, know that either. That's what he's assuming. He had a quick look, because I rang okay. him. And I said, come up for a cup of tea. I want to show you something, because I thought it was okay. a scam. Customers with, tell- customers with landlines only. Yeah. Will not. Well, well, obviously, if you have a landline only... It's kind of obvious that you don't have a mobile phone or you don't have, or you might not have a computer. So how else are they going to tell you? That's Anne-Marie on the live line with Joe Duffy. And that's it for Playback Daily. So mind yourself till next time.